1: Hello and welcome to All well Starts Out We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast a combined eye on g- going on Elland Road, giving scrutiny to underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Martin Riley, the Nelson Tomato penalty shout out of the podcast. I can't believe it's not been given. And I'm joined by the Mateus Nunes red card of the pod, Tom Hossigundal. I can't believe it's been given. And I'm joined by the Adama Traore shirt pull of the podcast. How have they allowed that goal to stand? It's clear and obvious. Making his All-Stats that we debut, it's Dan Holsworth. How are you doing today, Dan?
2: I'm good, mate. Thank you. I'm well fed and I'm super nervous about my debut. <laughs> I've only really just found out I was going to be appearing a couple, two or three hours ago, and I feel like a sort of academy football player has just found out like an hour before kickoff that he's getting his debut. I feel like you've kind of set me up here on purpose, so I'm not super nervous, but you know, it's not working, mate.
1: <laughs> well, I apologize for the late notice, um, but you, you, you're going to you. do fine. Um, but the, regarding the, the you have been well fed, Part, i'm not actually well fed tonight i've not eaten yet um so I, I may not be at my usual levels of performance so i apologize in advance if that's the case um so dan has been a part of the all starts that we team for a while now um but in the background he's been helping with editing and pod planning and he's now been asked to step back from beyond the backroom staff and onto the pitch and how are you feeling about being tasked with that
2: i think it was quite daunting, to be honest. I mean, you know, I'm not shy of my opinions, but having them and then expressing them uh, to, to an audience mm-hmm. of thousands is quite nerve-wracking, so, you know, we'll
1: see how we go. Yeah, you'll, you'll do fine. We'll, we'll make it quite conversational. Yeah. So, anyway, I'll get, I'll get into the game summary. Just let's see how the game went, went up. So, Leeds set up in a 4-4-2 to start with, with Wolves choosing a 4-2-3-1. Quite early in the game, the deadlock was broken, thanks to a Willian Yonta and Jack Harrison combining to give Leeds an early lead after five minutes. Wolves generally dominate possession after the goal, not allowing Leeds to get a foothold back into the game thanks to a good, aggressive mid-block, not allowing Leeds to gain any ground in their half. Wolves had the better of the proceedings in what was left for the first half, having a couple of chances which could have led to a goal, but weren't able to take advantage of these chances, with Leeds not creating any more good chances in the first half. The first half, the second half started in a similar answer to the first, with Luke Ayling converting a diving header from a set-piece situation in the 49th minute to make it 2-0. Wolves continued to have the majority of the possession, creating a few half-chances, but the game then went to 3-0, thanks to Rasmus Christensen having an immediate impact in the 6th second minute, when he was brought on and scored inside 30 seconds of entering the field. At this point, Leeds switched to a 5-3-2 a formation. Leeds fans probably relaxed at this point, but shortly after Rasmus scored, there was a very long-distance effort scored by Johnny of Wolves in the 65th minute, with Ilan Melier in no-man's land, following his decision to clear a long ball outside the box with his head and not being able to retreat in time to stop the 45-yard effort. Wolves continued applying pressure, with Melier coming to the rescue, reacting very quickly to two shots in the same minute, stopping Sarabia first, and then Raul Jimenez from scoring. However, Wolves did strike again in the 73rd minute, with a deflected shot from outside the box catching out Melier, making the score 3-2. At this point, Leeds fans started fearing the worst, having awful memories of Cardiff, and Wolves continued applying pressure. However, the game was turned on its head again when Johnny and Luke Ayling lunched with the same ball, resulting in Johnny being dismissed after a lengthy VAR check in the 84th minute, making it 10 men versus 11. The game was still anyone's claim at this point, but Leeds did manage to stop them from creating any more big chances, and in fact managed to score again in the 97th minute, thanks to Adam Traore being robbed off the ball by Somerville who slotted in Rodrigo, who coolly dinked the ball over Jose Saar. Despite remonstrations from the shock Traore, VAR did actually hold up the goal, leaving the game to end 4-2 to Leeds United. Uh, so, gents, is there anything that you felt I missed out there from that?
3: No, I think you got everything there. Um, yeah, it was, it's going to be a fun one to talk about. I think there's quite a few talking points, definitely. Yeah,
1: a lot of, a lot happened in, in that game. It was a bit of a roller coaster, especially in the second half. But yeah, um, we'll, we'll get on with it and see what happens in the interrogation. Um, so, Tom, will speak to you first. So looking from the XG, uh, which was Wolves at 2.7 and Leeds at 1.6, um, Wolves dominated this game, at least by the XG. Do you think this was a fair reflection of the game, and do you think we deserve to win?
3: So, I, I didn't get chance to watch the game live this weekend, so I went into the game knowing what the result was, kind of knowing how the game panned out. And the way that I saw it, it kind of, I felt like we actually were controlling it in that way, rather than dominating, and I think I looked on the sat and the timeline kind of shows that it, it looks more like Wolves were dominating. But it's that thing of what we've seen John talking about is the game state of where the XG is coming from. We scored very early on and I think that really reflects it that Wolves were trying to then get an equaliser. Um, Did we deserve it? Well, actually the three of the four goals were big chances. So Harrison's were 0.34, Alien was four point point four seven, Rodrigo 0.33 for their XG chances for their goals. So, I'm t- discounting Rodrigo's is it was a transition one, the game's sit there as Wolves are also trying to get that equaliser late on. Yeah. But I think we created enough to deserve it, we created good enough chances to deserve it, which is something which we haven't done in the past few games. Um, I know that there's been some talk of that we've created a lot of chances that haven't been big chances. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's it's probably a fair reflection of the game, but it's also a fair reflection of how early we scored as well in
1: that sense. Yeah, that's a a fair point. Um, And Dan, after we scored, Wolves quite quickly took footholds and we found it difficult to get any decent possession. Do you think this this was always the way the the game was going to pan out or do you think the early goal impacted the way the game ended up panning out?
2: Um, I think it kind of gave us a more exaggerated version of how it would have always panned out. Um, You know, we've been such an early goal and probably been an early goal second half. But also Wolves feeling like they had like a stake in the game. They always felt like they were very close to getting back into the game because of the you know the kind of the kind of transitional nature of the game and the back and forward nature of the game. You know both teams had a good number of chances. Um, so I, I just think there was a lot in the game for Wolves. So they always felt like they were in it. Um, I, I also feel that Wolves um, they were very press heavy. You know when I was watching Wolves for the, uh, the for the preview. I found that they pressed a lot more than I expected. a lot, they had a higher press than I, I anticipated them having. And I, and I think they kind of felt like they could have some um, joy with Leeds by pressing Leeds quite high in build-up. And, and I think also Leeds probably felt the same about Wolves. Um, if you watch the Wolves-Newcastle game from last week, um, Newcastle really took a foothold of that game midway through when they really, really got into Wolves' face and really, you know, really upped up the intensity of the press. I suspect Leeds saw that. So I think both teams wanted to press the opposition quite high. Uh, and I think that made for a very transitional nature of the game. And so I think it would have played out quite similar, even if there hadn't been that early goal. I just think perhaps it was more, you know, more
1: exaggeration. No, that's, uh, those are very, very fair points. Um, both teams did yeah. some outlook to try to impact the opposition with their press, and I think Wolves probably got the better of that than, than we did in that part of it. Um, but uh, just to follow up on, on this point, actually, with um, Tom, uh, do you think this was Grouchy's game plan for Wolves uh, to get an early goal and hit them in transition, or do you think this will just be his general game plan, irrespective of the opposition?
3: I'm not sure it's going to be the game plan going forward. I think something which I noticed um, when I when I watched it was it looked quite similar for us of how we were setting up and then there was a real turning point of when we did sit back and I don't know if that was in reaction to something that happened that Den Grazia said to do that or it was just the players. So there was a moment where Wolves were straight offside looking like they nearly beat the offside trap um, when we were playing quite high and then from that moment on we were a lot deeper for the rest of the yeah. half um so i don't know if that was part of grazia's game management of saying oh hang on no drop a bit deeper or if that was just players reacting to it being oh hang on we'll want to look for once early on let's try and hold on uh, early because there was also i think it was game plan though i do think it was that whether that was the reaction from grazia and i say that because it was funny to hear wolves fans and being annoyed at the time wasting that was apparently happening early on (laughs) uh you (laughs) know uh, I remember, it, I think it was like 27 minutes and there was jeering, I could hear in the crowd of Melier taking a goal kick. So I do think part of our game plan may have been to also slow down and frustrate after taking the lead. I think maybe we just didn't expect to take the lead so yeah, well. Yeah,
1: that's a very, very fair point. Um, it, it came very quickly, and much sooner than we've seen goals happen for most of this season. Uh, we haven't often scored uh, early in games and they, I think it, this really did help us to settle into the way that we wanted to approach the game. And I do, I do agree with Dan's point, but saying that it was something which we've, we would have been looking to do against Wolves, especially away from home, that like we'd need to try to soak up pressure a bit more and try to exploit the space that that leaves behind. Um, but just going move on to a different topic, um, Tom. There have been some mixed feelings about Mark, Mark Rocker in this game. Um, I've heard some people say that he's had a shocker. I've heard this quite frequently. And What did you make about Rocker's game?
3: I personally didn't think that he had a shocker overall he definitely had a shocker for the first goal Um, yeah Uh, don't exactly know what he was trying there but he by far attempted the most passes which I think we've all said before that's like what he's there to do right he's there to connect the team build the tempo keep the pace so he attempted um, 46 passes which was 12 more than anyone else in the team he only failed in 10 of those passes and again he there was three long passes that he missed and three long passes that he made, which I know that there was a video going around of saying, you know, he, he's missing a lot of these long passes, but long passes are long, are long passes. Nobody makes 100% of them, yeah. right? Um, but I don't think he was that bad. I don't think he was great. I don't think he was fantastic. Um, it was really interesting when I looked into the stats that uh, Rocker actually performed more, more tackles. McKenny didn't, didn't attempt any tackles during the game, but McKinney made three interceptions. Whereas Rocker made zero, and I think in my head I always assume that was the other way around, that Rocker would be the one reading for interceptions. Um but yeah, I don't I don't think that he had a shocker. I just don't think it was his best game. And he still made three key passes as well,
2: which I, I thought I thought Rocker had his, his pretty much his standard game. He had two two moments where he made errors for the first goal, and I think there was one in the first half where he gave the ball away on that around the halfway line in quite a dangerous situation my will counted on us but beyond that I think he had his standard game he made those great incisive passes that we know he could make you know those kind of front line breaking pass, passes you know completely good number put himself around as much as he can you know with his limitations physically I, I, I don't think it was noteworthy his game really beyond the error for the goal massively
3: Yeah. That that was basically I I Yeah, took,
1: yeah, yeah. No, I'd I'd agree with uh, all that you said there. I, I did feel, mm-hmm. I think maybe when watching live, I may may have had a bit more of a feeling that like maybe he did have a poor game. But then when I did rewatch it with less emotion involved, um, you tended to just pick up on more of the things that he was doing well, and so that's what I felt felt from from rewatching that he did. I I, have. I
3: think that's yeah, I think that's how I watch Aronson quite often as well. Yeah. Um, And the problems are, the stuff that he does that is frustrating for Aronson, they're just really frustrating, right? (laughs) Because I I know that we discussed the chance before half-time where he should have played in Bamford and he said he skied a shot, and it's kind of like, everything else building up to that was fantastic. And he did the nice turn, he received it nice, he got himself into a good space and into a brilliant opportunity to play that pass, and then he he doesn't, and that's where it can get annoying with Aronson, which I know it's off-subject, but yeah, I just thought of it then.
2: It it just turns so well, doesn't it? It's so frustrating. He turns and you think great, and he and he drives away from from a turn really well. It's quick, isn't he? Off, across over the first ten yards, and then he just breaks, doesn't it? And it's just such a frustrating player in that respect because he's so good at that one element. That one, you know, that one element of his game is really very, very good, and then it's not the rest of it.
1: So. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that on Aaronson. On he when he when he is frustrating, he is extremely frustrating, and. Um, Patrick Bamford really did make his feelings known that he was very annoyed with him for that, so hopefully he'll learn a lesson from that. Um but while we are talking about Rocker Dan, we may as well talk about the midfield pairing of Rocker and McKenny. I think it's the first time we've seen it in play and how he felt it worked both offensively and de- defensively. I think it's the first time we've seen him in the roles together.
2: Well defensively, I was kind of I wondered before I started watching the game how McKenney would do with the kind of transitional nature of the game if it became that way. Thought perhaps you know Adams is something that Adams might handle a bit better than McKenney. I was completely fine with McKenney in that respect. I thought he he covered the ground great. He like you say he made some interceptions. I'm surprised he had no tackles, but he seemed to be involved in a lot of physical duels and coming out on top of them quite often. So I was really really happy from a defensive perspective, and I I thought him and Rocker. So if if if, if Rocker went to press. The opposition, you know, uh, midfield, and then uh, McKenney seemed to dovetail in behind him quite well and pick up the loose ball, and vice versa. I, I just thought they, they, they worked very well as a pair. It didn't. It didn't feel like there was any less coherence there than you would find with Adams and, and Rocker. I thought, I thought it was great in that respect um, from a defensive side. And and, and in, my only my only concern is more of a team setup thing. I thought that sometimes we were getting overloaded in midfield, but that isn't necessarily a reflection on their their performance. It was just more that there was just two of them often against three or four wolves players, depending on, you know, what phase of the game was that. Mm. And that's that's a tactical thing rather than a, a a criticism of those two guys. So I was really happy with them and I'd be I'm more relaxed about them as a pair now. Going forward, if you know if if Adams is injured longer term than it was before the yeah, game, yeah, one hundred percent. It
1: was something yeah. which had been on my mind that, um, especially defensively, we, we may miss the pit, the pit bull like nature of Adams in just being everywhere all at once. Um, but I, I do felt that we handled it well. It's possible that um, the midfield pair that Wolves had met. At, Also, aren't the most physical players, so it's possible that in another game that could change. Um, What what, what do you think on 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 that one, Tom? Do you think there's any to think a different pairing could expose them a bit more?
3: Um, Yeah, possibly when we come to next week and talking about Arsenal, that's probably (laughs) going to be a totally different different match for them. Um, Yeah, like like you said, they they were good, they dovetailed well, and again, I watched when I was watching. I didn't think one played terribly, I didn't think one played exceptional. Um it was just kind of like they they were quite standard and what you were saying about them being overrun, I know we've got something about the formation change and we've had that discussion. I, I do wonder if that partly comes from uh Jack Harrison really man marking Johnny. Uh, so that kind of turned into a five or he was really spread and you'd see that McKenney and Rocker were tasked with the moving across to get to uh, Moutinho, uh, Neves, who had moved into the left-back position in build-up sometimes. Mm. And so I just wonder if that the importance of trying to stop the wide players, or maybe it was trying to stop the ball out to the left wing-back, which we'd seen versus Chelsea, we'd seen versus Fulham, like we discussed last week or the week before. Um, so I wonder if the, the tactical from Grazia, the move there, was... Put Harrison out on. Tell him to stick out on the left wing back and trust everyone else. In yeah, the
1: that's a fair point. Um, uh, there was a lot, a lot of different things which happening tactically with which um, Wolves did change it as the game went on as well. Um, having different players uh, dropping deeper into the left back area sometimes, and so it, it did keep the pair of them guessing as to what was going to happen. Um, but let's move on to the next point. I've got um, Tom. I think we need to have a quick chat about the Johnny goal. Um, just. How, how do you read that, and what do you think went wrong there? Who, who, where do you think the fault lies in that goal?
3: Yeah, so as I, as I said earlier, I think that one is Mark Rocker's fault. Hmm. Um, Melier obviously did he, he did try this earlier earlier in the game around about thirty five minutes, I think, and that was actually a worse attempt of coming out and clearing that header was not a clean header; it was again a diving header. I don't know why he's adapting to this, trying to go with the diving headers on the sweep, um, but again. We, we don't usually see this, I don't think. So I'm guessing that this was also instructed as trying to stop their players on the pace to try and come out quickly and get and sweep up and clear as quick as he could from Ellie outside his box. Um, but yeah, I thought he, ac- he actually cleared that quite well with his head. He got it to round about halfway, really, just in front of the centre circle. And then Rockers, just with his weak foot, tried to do something different and weird. And then you've got to give credit to Johnny Wright. Like he's yeah. hit on the volley from forty yards out and got it perfectly weighted to have one bounce and go in and yeah so as much as it is Rocker's fault and I don't think Melier does too much wrong really he's clearly been instructed I think to come and meet those balls and opportunities and yeah and then Johnny's just done something very good and it's and it's yeah and it's ironic right that Melier's made he stopped a lot of chances. So, they, they put up 2.7 XG, but their goals came from (laughs) 0.04. So, like, he has, he has a good game where people have been kind of talking about how he's underperformed this year and he has a good game and then gets beaten by a deflection and a fluke chance again.
1: Yeah, so. he did so well to stop some, especially the, these chances in the second half. Um, I think one of them, especially, I think was it the um, uh, Sarabia chance, I think, was the first one, where he just, he just sort of gets an arm out. And if you the, if you look on the, from what the actually the, the on that was high to start with, but the chance itself, how, Sarabia took that, XG higher. The post shot XG was at least, I think, one zero no, point one five higher than what it initially was. So it made it even harder for Melier to save and he still managed to save it. Those little reflex saves like that, he can sometimes just pull them out of nowhere, and that was good to see. Um, But moving on from that goal, uh, Dan, this isn't something I usually like to give too much credence to, um, but uh, set pieces. Um, Was it my imagination, or do you think we were a bit better than the normal in this game, and we've actually shown some craft at them in the last few games, we've maybe not been rewarded for them? Or am I just imagining things? Do you have anything to say about that, that, that point?
2: Well, my first when I saw this question, my first thought was, you're imagining things. I mean, the goal was great. Ayling's goal was a really, really nice move with McKinney kind of peeling forward off the pack uh, and then he dragged a marker with him and then Ayling kind of peeled away off the back. I thought that was quite a clever move um, for the goal. So that was a really good routine. Um, and I do think generally we have quite good movement on attacking set pieces in the box, but the delivery is the issue quite often. Unless Green was on the pitch, we don't have that great delivery, do we really? Um no. And I felt like this was this was true back in in Marsh's time as well. So I don't think it's anything specifically new that we've seen. Although we have had two goals from set pieces in the last two games, I don't beyond the 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 great move for Aliens' goal, uh, Aliens the the second goal on on Saturday. I don't feel it's something that's. there's been a big uptick. I just think it's you know it was our turn to get one. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute variance coming our way. You know, a bit of that, really. Yeah, yeah.
1: No, that's, so. that, that, that's a fair point. Um, I, just, I think I've just picked up a few a few times in the last few games where cause we were pretty much always going um, central straight away and like not doing it short. But I feel mm. with it, I've noticed us going short a bit more. And there was one particular move in the first half, um, I think, where it got played short and then a the cross was put... Far wide, all of our players were on the, the near post, and McKenny ran in from outside the box and hit it on the volley. And that, that definitely had the feeling of something which was pre planned. So that was the one which I, I particularly took notice of rather, rather right. than the actual goal itself. Um, but I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on, on this one, Tom. I'm not sure if you're a set piece geek or.
3: Uh, I am a little bit. Um, if anyone remembers, uh, one of the first things that All Stats and the group saw from me was a discussion during lockdown regarding set pieces of what we did against Burnley in particular. Yeah. Um, But I definitely saw some differences and picked up some things, which the number one fact was that Mark Rocker was on the corners. And when we've seen, I remember when we were signing him and there was a lot of talk of saying we might finally have a good corner delivery. And I know there's been a lot of talk from think Hobbs has been wanting Rocker to be on corners over Harrison and stuff. So, those deliveries made a difference, and Dan, you picked up on it that McKenney made the run, the front run, for the pull, to pull the marker. Martin, you've picked up on the fact that we pulled everyone forward and then hit McKenney mckenney has been our target for the past few games in all of our corners, and then so what we did with this one to give Aileen the space was use McKenney as that decoy to then create Aileen. So I do think it was that move, and I think it's something mm. that we've probably been building on and aiming to use and attack for certain oppositions, for where we think we can get the points, so probably why we didn't see it against Chelsea and why we've it's taken three games to then come about that we've then gone for that. And like you said, there was that chance where McKenney's shot were blocked, and then this one from Alien as well. And I, I thought there was some nice stuff from corners. That I saw
1: this time. Yeah, now. I'm glad it, it wasn't just my imagination. Um, <laughs> uh, but to move on to the next point, I don't like to talk too much about set pieces. It's a bit too American for me. And for some reason, <laughs> things that are American have traumatized me. Um, but uh, would it surprise you if I told you that our PPDA, that's um, passes per defensive action, was a lot higher in this game than against Brighton? Um, it was actually eighteen point five against Wolves. That meant we allowed eighteen and a half passes for each time we attempted the defensive action, and then against Brighton it was eleven point six nine. So that's a pr- pretty sharp drop. But does that figure surprise you? It did with me a little bit.
3: Yeah, it definitely did when I before thinking about it. It definitely surprised me, and then when I considered how we played, so where we sat that little bit deeper. And it's worth remembering that this is because this is how. This is a metric of where we're trying to measure pressing. And we think that this is a good way of measuring pressing per action of, um, passes mm-hmm. before you do the defensive action sort of thing. But Brighton sometimes don't pass to try and entice the press, right? So that, that number's going to be lower yeah. because they're trying to entice the press a bit earlier. They're trying to do it that way. So I wonder if we looked at the time between the first touch of a play to that passive defensive action, the time that it elapsed, whether that would be a lot shorter versus Brighton and a lot bigger versus Wolves because of how just that, the way that it, they were both
2: playing the ball instead. I think mean, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a really good point because if you look at the way Wolves build up, they would, kind of, they would kind of shift it across so so Neves would drop into the back line and make it a back three. The, you know, the full backs would become wing backs and push up and there'd be a lot of kind of horseshoeing around waiting for the opportunity for their Neves to do the big switch or to do a big diagonal. So you might, yeah, you would have more passes, even though that that sequence of passes might actually be a shorter elapsed time than 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 Brighton spent not passing the ball and holding on at the back. So exactly, yeah, good point, Tom. yeah, yeah.
3: Because yeah. I think it was said um, by Phil Hay on the Phil Hay Show that at times it was both teams were at a standstill, right? So that yeah. that's not going to equate for a pass per defensive action.
2: And I, and I suppose with Brighton, they were, the, the way Brighton built the ball, it was you know they were playing quite direct central passes. Were they? You know, they kind of playing up to the front front line and then. And the, the ball was coming back, and then we'd end up with like a melee in the midfield, wouldn't we? It begins to brighten quite often. So it might be two passes, then a melee, and a lot of pressing. So again,
1: uh, yeah.
2: sort of backs up that point,
1: really. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm glad that both of you had different things to say about that question. That, that actually delighted me. Um, yeah, the, one other, other thing that I would say about on, on this as well is um, that even though it, it surprised me at first, but like both of you two, I, I did think about it a bit more. And the fact that against Wolves we um, were were ahead a lot, we the, the game state was was being in the lead um, for pretty much most of the match, other than the, the opening five minutes. So, which meant that we naturally wouldn't be looking to press. I know we weren't pressing against Brighton, but we were, doing thing, we were doing defensive action because we were intercepting the ball rather than pressing, and we were trying to block options for Brighton. So there were different things in there. So that's, that's what I felt on that one anyway. But uh, yeah, we've all had some good things to say about that one. I enjoyed that question.
0: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. Moving on to the listener
1: questions. We had quite a lot of listener questions, and I couldn't fit them all in, but here's some which I like the look of. So first one is from uh, Louis Herbert on Twitter. He said, It feels to me like structure means that while players are still making individual errors, those errors are less likely to lead to big chances than they were under Marsh and Bielsa. He put in brackets. Is this feeling right? Um, We'll go with Dan for this one.
2: Uh, I think probably yeah. It's just a lack. It's just the the drop off in intensity, isn't it? I think so. We're not kind of under marsh we used to swarm the ball. So if the team if the opposition could break you know break through our swarm, then players were left covering much more space, weren't they? Naturally, because players are taken out. So in, uh, under grassier, we're not pressing so intently. We're really pressing in ones and twos rather than a swarm of players. So if the ball does break out of the press, there's more cover. We're not kind of charging in 100 miles an hour, trying to kind of win the ball back. So I think people were, were able to make more. Um, trying to think, what's the word? More considered pressing <laughs> actions. More, more con- the defenders are allowed to make more considered decisions. I think. So I kind of think, yeah, that's true, but that's just the nature of the lack of intensity in there and, and, the, and the way the team is set up. And, and also, I think Grassy wants us to be more cautious. So if someone does press, someone will filter across and cover the gap more. You know, there's, 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 there's definitely a, 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 a. It's a setup factor, I think, there. So yeah I think I mean I think that's, I
1: think that's true uh, yeah there, there's a lot of things which can uh, get unpacking that and I also feel that because of the way um, Gracius has had does pay attention to having a um rest defense I, mm. I do feel that that comes into play, especially if when we are t- we're turning over. Um, in transitional moments. I think that was one of the biggest problems under Marsh. Uh, there wasn't as much consideration given to that. wonder uh, actually you'll see um, one of the full-backs getting forward while the other one stays a bit more in reverse. Or you'll have one of the central midfielders dropping deep. So it's looking to always make sure that we have an overload in the defensive sense. So if, if they're only keeping one attacker up, we have two defenders there if they have two attackers up then we have three defenders there so I think it's something which he gives more consideration to the And um, for me uh, so on to the next one from uh, Dara Kennedy um, was he, they said how much progress has actually been made since Gracia came in should we consider him for next season if we stay up comfortably and Tom um,
3: one. I guess I'll take this one because <laughs> on my debut I think I advocated for if we do stay up comfortably we should keep him and um, I still think, I, I, I'm of that opinion that it would be harsh if we stay up really comfortably. And still, by comfortably, I mean in like four games. If in four games we're all, which means we have to win all four games, right? If we're with six games to go and we are comfortably stayed up, it's harsh to then kind of just say, off you pop, thanks, thanks for the job you've done. Um, but we, again, how much progress have we made? Or is it the opposition and the way that we have changed? Is it actually progress? Uh, I'm, I want to see a bit more in possession. Obviously, I think we all do, and I don't think that we will get that, even if we get kept Kratz here on. Um, so, yeah, I think we could consider him if we stay up com- comfortably, but it shouldn't be a big consideration. Is where I'm at now.
1: No, that's a that's a fair point. Um, I think there has been progress made in certain parts of the way we where we play, especially when it comes to um, not conceding as many big chances. I mean, I know in, in the game against Wolves, there was actually quite a, quite a few big chances in that game. Um, but I, I think that Wolves had to work harder for those big chances, I felt, than some, on the, some games on the mash. Um Is there anything you want to say on on this one, Dan?
2: Um, I think the decision should just purely be based on what the club's vision for the future is, in terms of style of play, style of manager. So if the vision is for a manager who plays grassier ball, whatever grassy ball is, then you go for Grassier If the vision is for a, you know, uh, another high-intensity pressing manager, uh, high possession manager, they just need to they just need to make a clear decision on what style of play they want to take the club in and, and decide that way and, and almost put results to one side. That would be my approach. So I just think you have to have a really clear plan and go with that clear plan. And, and if it's not grassy, then thanks. You know, shake his hands.
1: Yeah, exactly. I do I think it. I think. Possibly he may already be aware of the of the um, reality that he could um, keep us up comfortably and um, not get the job long-term. I think that ha- had to have been in the conversation because he-, he must have been aware that we approached a number of managers before him. So he was not the first choice option by any stretch. We made it quite clear that the targets we had was um, Andoni Iriola and, and a Slot. Slott. Uh, so that those were our two big targets. And those were the ones who we wanted and we couldn't get them because they both were and in, in, doing some very good things with the clubs that they were at and they wanted to see out the season. So respect to them both. Um, but I, I feel that we should be looking to go back to what we wanted originally and try to get those managers if we can get them. Possibly, um, especially Arnaslott may have gone a bit further up than what we would hope. Um, I think you've got something else to say, Dan. I think I thought you put your hand up there.
2: <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I think, yeah, I think Grassy Grassy is the, the easy option, isn't he? Because if you look at the, the state of the squad, it kind of suits a 4-4-2, doesn't it? Or a 4-2-3-1 that we're playing now. We've got lots of guys that kind of like to play off a sec, you know, second striker or whatever we've got wingers that, you know, we've got players that suit a double pivot. So Grassy is the easier option in terms of squad building. We know that he's, um, you know, he's a decent fellow. The fans quite like him, <laughs> you know. It's probably an easy manage, management, you know, it's probably easy to manage. So it depends what the club want. Do the club want to just continue building the squad and have an easy guy that'll, you know, do a competent job for them? Or do they want to go back to a, a plan A manager, a guy who's, you know, a, a, who's got like a plan A, or one way of playing, and wants to play that kind of extreme way of playing. So, you know, the way with Marsh and Bielsa. Do we go for an Iriola who has a plan A, an Annie Slot who has, you know, a, definitely a plan A, and, and looks to maximise plan A, Rather than being more of a flexible guy, he will work with what the tools that he's got.
3: And I think that's going to depend on who's in charge of the club, right? As well. Yeah. I think if it's, I do think if Radz and Otto were to say on, I think Radz would kind of be like, "Oh, I need to, we need someone to prove. He just needs to prove he's a coach to me now, or something like that." Whatever he said last summer about Marsh. Um, Yeah. And that would be their easy option. I think that's where the club would go because they'd say that they wouldn't have to try and invest in a new manager, and then they could. Investing into the playing squad I think that's the line that we'd get if it were rads and auto if it's the 49ers it's an easy time to change as well then it, right no matter what happens
1: oh, that's fair I think we've given uh, Dara plenty for his money there on that question so we'll move on to the next one um, we've got James Mantella on Twitter he said the stats don't make for great reading but is it that the old game state arguments the opportunities we created seem to be reasonably sustainable thoughts uh so with this question I think we've already answered about the game state part of it. So maybe focus on the um su- the sustainable chances um opportunities. So we'll we'll go with um who is it who had the last one to start with? Um we'll we'll go with um Dan because um Tom last spoke.
2: I, I don't um in terms of like chance creation, now against Wolves I thought we you know, we had a really good game in that respect, didn't we? And I don't necessarily I think Tom covered this before, I don't necessarily think the XG was the true tale of the tape? You know, I think we made a lot of chances that didn't quite go to a shot, but there were there were like quite repeatable kind of moves and repeatable patterns of play where we almost got a shot away. And I thought there were there's a few scenarios that were very promising. So it felt like the it felt like our, our attacking game really clicked against Wolves. Um, but it felt a little bit that we gave away a little bit of defensive stability against Wolves. So, and, and is that just the nature of the transitional game that it became, or is that grassier getting really good patterns of play, and really good attacking patterns of play and repeatable moves that create goals. I'm hoping the latter, but I fear it's the it's the former. I fear it's just, it's just because we had a transitional game. So I don't I don't know if um we I'm not ready to answer yet that I feel like we've got a a, a better attacking plan Legrassier than we did, you know, after his first two games. I'm not ready to answer that yet, really. We saw it against Wolves but probably probably because of the transitional nature of the game.
1: Yeah, uh, I think we are still quite early into Grazius' time, um, and we haven't seen him too, too often against teams that are around our level. I know Wolves can be technically classed as around our level, but I would personally say that their squad itself is very, very good. And it, I enjoyed watching them in when I, we watched them before for, for last week's pod, and I do feel that that they are a better build of squad than what we have overall. We have a lot of good in, good individuals, but I think the especially with the size of Wolf squad, they've got such depth in, in in what they've got there. So I do think that once we've seen what we can see in the next few games because after the Arsenal game we've got a lot of games which um, I think we, we I should hope to see more in possession stuff and more creating chances f- through our own possession rather than making it transitional every time so um, I'm hoping that, that continues um, do you have anything to say on this one Tom?
3: Um, no, just that the, the opportunities that we did create I can think of two moments that were basically identical but mirrors so the goal which was Nanto pulling back to Harrison and then there was a I think the chance was in the second half and Aronson pulled it back and Bamford slipped but Harrison was there to have the shot and I think it was blocked maybe um but yeah so they were two very similar opportunities and look like that's exactly where we're trying to get to um but we're trying to get which is in a way it was what Marsh wanted as well sometimes but he wanted to get there in a different way didn't he and I think we're, we're doing okay with you look at the goal and we went out to Nyonto three times and we managed to create space for him with Furpo's movement because he went inside and then he went outside and then he he sat deep and that gave Nyonto that space to go in for the cutback. So I think there's definite patterns there that we're seeing and it'll be interesting to see after the international break what what that does do because we also don't have Nyonto for the international break so it means that the big attacking outlet that you want that we seem to be working around at the moment is not going to be here. So it'll be interesting to see where where we do end up. What other players can do.
2: I mean, Palace and Forest will be very good um, good, good tests of that because they expect them to come and road and sit quite deep and look to counter. You would think, wouldn't you? So we're going to probably have to break them. We'll probably have the line share possession. We'll probably have to break those teams down. I would think. So I think that's going to be a really good test of of, of system here. You know? And, you know, is he able to kind of create repeatable chances against a lower block? You know, rather than against a team that's opening out like Wolves did
1: yeah that's fair I think I I would say that against Fulham in the cup um, we did actually Mm. do a a very good job of creating chances there Um, I know Fulham didn't necessarily sit in a low block but they also weren't very aggressive I wouldn't say so I think that that was kind of a middle of the road one and I felt we did reasonably well on that Um, but yeah I I think we've got to give this one more time to see if it's going to be sustainable going forward Um, the next one was from Dougie Jones on Twitter He said, have we actually improved very much or have our last results just been luckier? Tom?
3: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I know that I said before I wasn't sure exactly how much we've got better in that sense, but I do think what I mean by that is these players are now doing something which every player should be able to do because that's what they're being told to do by Grazi, right? I, I don't think that anything that we're doing is an improvement on what the players can do. It's just that We're now doing that, which is an improvement on what they were being asked to do, because what they were being asked to do was detrimental, is more where I see it in that sense. Um, So, have the last two results been lucky? If you were to look at XG, you'd probably say yes. Uh, I think, actually, though, the Brighton game was more or less 2-2 in XG, Um, but yeah, I think think we have improved, because I also, I'm not sure, I I know that we did beat Wolves, but I don't know if we beat... Lopatigis, Wolves under Marsh, um, so I do think we have improved. I don't think the last two results have been luckier, um, but I don't think I don't think we're we're worse off. Right, we're not we're not worse than we were before Grazia came in. That's a definite. No, so, I'd, uh,
1: yeah, I I agree <clears throat> with what you said there and that. I think in the Brighton game, I think bas- basing it off just our goals, you have to say that we did get a, quite a big share of luck in that, at least for me personally, um, because um, obviously both of the goals were pretty low XG chances. So I think that would be my only thing I'd say on, on that one. Um, have you got anything to,
2: to chime in with from Dan? Um, it, it can be true that we can have improved and had a piece of luck in the last two games, and I think that's probably true. Um, I think we had a lot of luck or variance, so Went our way. I mean, certainly against Brighton, Brighton were clearly better, than us, weren't they? That's that's be real. Um, um, but I was kind of really pleased with the way we battled back against Brighton and, and kept at it And you know, and, and some of Gressy's subs were quite good, and they got us back in the game and an attacking sense. You know, so is that luck or is that you know good judgment? It's hard. To, it's hard to say. Um, in terms of the Wolves game, we, we consistently made good chances against them, even though they consistently made good chances against us, and we executed better than they did. Um, so. Is that luck, variance, or is that performance? A bit of all of the above, I
1: think. Yeah, I'd, 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 I'd agree with that. Um, and it's been it's happened to us a lot this season where we have created the better chances, and well, I won't say a lot of, but on the mass we did have games where we did create good chances, didn't take advantage of them, and then the opposition were clinical. So the Wolf game feels like that to me. Um, but yeah, I said I think again, there's a bit of both luck and variance, and it's just. Certain things improved in our performance rather than it all being luck. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the ne- next question is from El Barker on Twitter. She said, "How do you feel about the change to back five when Christensen came on?" Um, we'll, go, we'll go with Dan again on this one, please.
2: Yeah, um, I think we would noticed it. A co- I've noticed it a couple of times before Christensen came up. they would fallen into a, a, a back five, a three-five-two, but it felt situational. So just after the second goal, I noticed that Jack Harrison playing right wing back and Ailing tucking in to the right centre back of the three. And then maybe a minute later in a different phase, they were back in the four four two. So I think there was a situational element to the three five two. And then when Christensen came on, it became a permanent three five two. So that's how I saw it really. So and and in terms of what it did for the team, I don't know if it really made that much difference in terms of it made the game any more safe for us and it made it, I don't know if it meant that we had we were more stable. I don't know if it really made that much difference. To be quite frank, beyond that Christensen got a goal. So I don't really I don't have a strong view on it other than I think it happened before Christensen came on and it wasn't that big. Okay, that's fair. Uh, Tom, anything on this?
3: Yeah, um the I don't think it changed much as well. It, the game basically carried on the same with just different personnel and formations. Um Yeah. Like I said, I I noticed Harrison making that right wing back position. I think the situation was depending where Johnny was, um, on where that happened. Um I wonder if he's really managing Nonto. And because we didn't really have much central midfield options, he decided that Harrison was then his best central midfield defender that he wanted who could defend that area. And that's why he brought Christensen on then to make that a back five. Um, Because obviously the shock was that Christensen came on for Nonto, right? As well. Yeah. And then I think then it was Aronson for Somerville later on and they played a different, different role that way. So I do wonder if that was... The thinking behind it, just because we were short on midfielders and he didn't want to chuck Gray into it, um, even though you'd probably... Well, it was 2-0 at the time, so yeah, you wouldn't chuck Gray in at 3-0. At 2-0, maybe you'd chuck him in at 3, but he obviously didn't because it was only 3-0 for two minutes. But yeah, so I wonder if that was kind of why, because I think we've seen before under Grazia as well, Harrison um, defending in a three at times. When we've shaped up in four-three-three.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with um, points from what you said, both said there. Um, I, I do, but personally, I feel the shift to three-five-two um, or five-three-two, however you you want to read it. I feel I feel like it happens possibly even from the start of of the second half. Um, after because I felt in in the first half, the were Ailing was more wide most of the time, and I feel in the second half he was sitting a lot narrower. He was closer to cock than what he would have been. He was sitting more uh, along the line of the um, the the box rather than being wider than that. I f- feel that it, that that change happened, and it was Aaron Har- Har- Harrison, sorry, who was pretty much playing as a right wing back for most of the time. When he was further forward, and it looked more like a 4-4-2. but I do think since Wolves had the ball most of the time, he was in that position mo- for me most of it. Um, uh, Danny, you got something to add, to add there?
2: Well, I was just going to say, I thought I saw something similar on the other side against Brighton. We saw that that Thurpo um, would tuck in quite a bit and it would be gesturing Harrison to come back and become almost a, a left wing back. So I just wonder if it's just a feature of, of Gracia's defence and how he wants them to operate. I just So we might see quite often as a situational thing, they might go into a 3-5-2 quite often from the 4-4-2. I just think it'll just happen. I think we'll see a lot. In both sides.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that because um, I do felt that it's one thing that we've had a lot of this season is our fullbacks being exposed. So if we are encouraging our wingers to sit deeper back to help their fullback back out, it's only going to be a good thing for us to keep trying to stop these chances going against us. So yeah, I was fine with the change. Um, whenever it whenever it happened, that really bit is redundant, but I don't think it really influenced the game massively either way. I don't think it invited pressure onto us. Because I think the pressure was already there. Um, I think was so. I think more. I think he wanted to have someone at right back area who was an actual defender uh, rather than Harrison, who although he is, he's passable as a defender, he's still not a defender. He's hmm. so. I think he he wanted someone more reliable there defensively, and I think Erasmus did did do that. Uh, not just the goal. I felt that in when when we were trying defending, he was very good. There's a few times where he got in quickly with the balls, saw some things that he used to do in, um, in the past when he was playing well. And I felt like it, was a, it was a good game for him. And it does definitely mm-hmm. give them something to think about for future games as to who he's going to be starting. Because I think in the last couple of games, Ailing has been um, looking a bit weaker defensively than what he, he has been in the past. Um, especially. But we'll see how, how that goes on. And on to the next next one, uh, which is the final question of the day and one which we can all get stuck into. As we're not far away from probably extremely briefly um, having all of our forwards and attacking players fit, what would be your preferred starting lineup and what role would you give the players left out of it? And thank you for jinxing us, Jamie, because someone is going to get injured during the international break. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll go, with, uh, we'll go with Tom first, first one. What do you think?
3: Um, it's a tough one. We had a similar one a couple of weeks ago, I think, when we were asked if uh, they'd. If we would start Cine, Rodrigo, Bamford, and Yonto all at once, I think we said you probably don't have enough defensive work there for especially under Grazia. Um, what would be my preferred starting lineup? My preferred starting lineup would probably be something similar to what what that is though. Um, <laughs> but I don't I don't know how it would work and what the rules would be. Uh, the players off it, obviously. I mean, you look at how Somerville came on and did really well to hold up the ball, carry it. Um, just waste time while on the ball was really good I felt on Saturday so we've got I think we've got options where we can change things up depending on how we want to attack teams and what we want from each player Uh, like we said we've got an abundance of players who look like they're going to be good second strikers we've only really got one that can kind of pin defences in Bamford um, but having players who can play all up front in different ways and they do all have different uh. Assets, so Rus a really good dribbler, right? Somerville's a good dribbler. Okay, maybe they're a bit similar in in that sense, but they've got Somerville can do it out wide, whereas Rus try and do it more centrally. You've got Sinistera, who likes to come inside with the ball, and has a good good uh, contact with the ball, good ball striking ability. We all know what Nyonto can do. He seems to be able to do a lot, which is great. So yeah, I think any any of the combination I'm happy with really is. And this is gonna sound really harsh. But maybe if Aronson's a player coming off the bench, that, that's probably <laughs> the only the only one that I'd want to see that I'd, I'd rather see every time. Yeah.
1: How about you, Dan? Um,
2: my first answer is always like, "What's the most fun lineup we can have?" <laughs> so if you assume Bamford's the, the nine, who are the three that play behind the nine? And just in terms of pure fun talent, it's Sinister and Nanto, probably Rutter, but some of it's fun as well. So I'd really like to see that. But and and I really want to see Nanto at ten. That's something I'm really really keen to see. Long term, you know, I think a lot of people, me included, think think his long term future is, is perhaps through the middle as a ten or a, maybe even an eight. I don't know. Long term, um, so that's something I really like to see. And you know, I really like Sinistera. We don't have that many great ball strikers. I think he's a good ball striker. So I think mean, you make you, sh- you should probably make space for a good ball striker like him when it's something the team does lack. Um, but then you just know for you know you know you know Gracie obviously values the work rate and the defensive output that he gets from Harrison and Aronson. Even though they're nowhere near as fun as, as Rutterman and Nanto and Sinistera, so you know I, I, I'm not a manager. I'm just a, I'm just a fan who wants to watch fun football. So give me Sinistera and give me Nanto, give me Rutter, please. No, that's, that's fine. So,
1: so you want vibes all the way? Vibes all the way, man. Yeah, absolutely. Vibes, we like it. Vibes and inshallah. Um, myself, um, regards to the best attacking lineup, um, I would have Harrison in there every day. Uh, personally, I feel that his defensive output is no one else can do to, do what he does in that respect. Um, I agree with Tom saying that I would like to have Aronson off the bench, um, although he does give us a lot in defensive um, output. Um, I think I would prefer to see him as an impact player, and I would like I would like it to be a four two three one, and the. The three behind Bamford, I would like it to be not on the left, Nonto in the middle, and probably Somerville on the right. Um, and it th- feels harsh on Sinisteria because we've spent so much money on him, but I think at least for this season, I- I- I'd... I still think we can rely on him. I, don't, I think he's quite often going to be broken this season. I think he's going to need a full pre season where he stays fit and healthy so he can attack the season properly rather than having it stopping and starting because we know what happens with that. With Bamford, we've seen it for the past few years Is not being fit, he's rushing to try to get fit, and it just means that he's ended up being re injured again. So, yeah, for me, that's what I, I'd like. I'd like. Some fun in, in non-turn and, and Somerville, but we've also with um, a bit more solidity with Harrison, because he also has the ability to pull a goal or assist out, out of nothing. So I, I, I think that little bit of unpredictability from him at times is good, even if he's indecisive sometimes and frustrating. <laughs> I
2: think, I think there's a, is there a good argument for, like, it depends. It's a horses-for-courses approach. You know, if we playing the front three, there's the personnel very different. What are our full-backs doing? Do we play a ten? Are we playing? Yeah. You know, are we going to be pinning teams back? Is it home games where we've got the ball? Is it away games? Transitional, and it's kind of nice that we've got quite, a, you know, quite a lot of good different different types of forwards there, and different types of attackers and wingers. And so I guess it's. I mean, the, the sensible answer is horses for courses, isn't it? And, and depends yeah. on what you're trying to do. I mean, how do we? I mean, like Thurpo's. Yeah, the Thurpo Redux at the moment. We're all loving Furpo's performances at the moment. Does Thurpo dovetail with Sinister really well? You know, quite possibly. Um, you know, Furpo getting around the outside and Sinistera getting to come in like the way Nonto does. You know, we've not seen a great deal of Nonto on the right, that'd be something I'd like to perhaps experiment with. I don't know. You know, there there's lots of different ways of, of of approaching it really.
1: Yeah, it's always good to have um different options for different opposition. Like I say, it's totally different mm. what you want from your players when you are looking to keep hold of the ball more. And for that you would definitely want Nonto on a pitch. You would definitely want Sinister on the pitch. And the reason why I say that is because those two are probably our um, two most reliable players. In possession mm. whereas if it's a yeah. game where um you're not going to have much of the ball, then you probably want Harrison and Aronson in the in the the front line, so we've we have that work rate, so we've got some yeah. some players who will keep going so yeah that's what that's what I would like to see as well if we are, we are looking to see the ball because I do really like in when I saw him playing um previously for Faeyard. Um, he's so reliable with the ball. Um, Obviously, he's able to dribble past his man, but he knows when to do that and when to dribble past. He doesn't always go for it every single time, so he has a good success rate when he does do it. So that's that's what I'd like to see from him. Um, But yeah, unless uh, anyone's got anything else to say on that, have you got anything else to add on that one? No, good stuff okay we that is everything for today um well i did men- mention on the tweet that we'll be having a mini q a however i felt it's best to move that to the next pod next week um, because that one will just be the arsenal preview and the previews are generally a little bit shorter than, than the review so i felt it was better to move move it to next week so anyone who has certain questions for that i have kept hold of them so don't worry we, we won't forget those Um, But yeah, we'll be back next week for the Arsenal preview and the mini Q&A. I want to say thank you very much to Tom.
3: Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. And again,
1: for joining us at short notice, thank you very much, Dan. No problem. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. And dear listener, thank you very much for tuning in and we hope to have you back next time. Bye.